welcome to the Common Good Podcast, the podcast that showcases the very best of Glasgow Caledonian University and how the institution, its staff and its research benefits people and communities, both at home and overseas. My name is Craig Telfer and this episode is another instalment in our special series about the climate emergency in advance of COP26. On today's show, I am delighted to be joined by Penny Endersby, the Chief Executive of the Met Office, to talk about the organisation and its role in tackling climate change. Penny, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you onto the Common Good podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start by talking about the Met Office itself. It's a British institution, but if someone listening had never heard of it, how do you describe it? First thing I'd say is that the Met Office does more than people (laughs) realise. So everybody knows us as the providers of your weather forecast. And of course, we do that for all the four nations of the UK. But you're asking me here today because of what we do in climate research and as a climate provider. And for 30 years, we've been the home of the Met Office Hadley Centre, where some of the world's leading climate researchers have been building the case for man-made climate change and explaining what the effects and impacts are going to be. And that's a really core part of our work. And beyond that, we have a truly global mission. So we provide a global forecast model. We provide services from Aviation Service, the World Area Forecast Centre, Volcanic Ash Advisory, Space Weather. So a much broader remit. And we also do quite a lot of capacity development overseas. Uh, And I had the pleasure of speaking in your Climate Justice Symposium at GCAL a while back. And um, that was very much around that overseas development mission and how we try to get both better weather and better climate predictions to less developed nations and make sure that there's a a fairer use of those skills worldwide. That's an incredibly broad range of stuff that you do at the Met Office. I didn't realise that there was so much stuff there, but Penny, tell me about your role as Chief Executive of the organisation. What what does that mean? What do you do? So it's very much a dual role for me, and that's how I was recruited. It's a large organisation. We turn over a couple of hundred million. There's 2,000 staff. We've got a huge transformational change programme going on with our exciting new supercomputer that we're building at the moment that's going to revolutionise the way we do our forecasting. So I'm a business leader. We're part of government, so I'm an accounting officer within Bayes. But uh, also, this is a role that's always been done by a scientist. So I'm a professor of computer science. Um, I was recently made FRNG, and it's very much part of my role to represent the fantastic science that our people do on both weather and climate and be able to do that competently. So when I was recruited, there was very much this, this job spec of two halves. And it's one of the reasons I love doing the job so much. Yeah, listening to you talk about it, you sound very enthusiastic about your role with the Met Office. Is it something that you enjoy doing? Is it something you're very passionate about? Absolutely. I mean, it was completely my dream job when I took the job. But the more I've come to understand what we're able to do, I realise I've taken it on at a time that's crunch time for humanity. Mm-hmm. And that, so we have a purpose of helping you make better decisions to stay safe and thrive. And that really encompasses everything from shall I put my washing out to is it safe to drive to what will happen if we don't reduce carbon and how much am I going to have to adapt? So I really feel that we have a mission at the moment that is key to the well-being of humanity going forward. And I couldn't have joined it in a more important time. I don't know anyone who wouldn't be passionate about doing what we do. That's quite a turn of phrase you used there, Penny, crunch time. Why is it crunch time in terms of climate change? Well, you all have seen the Working Group 1 report from the IPCC, to which we were key contributors. And I think there were 
two real learnings from that. And the first is, it is now unequivocal that the climate is changing and this is down to man-made carbon emissions. And there is no more room for arguing about that. That is fact and it's been proven far too long. But the second is, we know pretty well that the worst effects of, of climate change are going to kick in above one and a half degrees and then it will go on getting worse and worse the more we let the planet warm. And it's just not too late. We have eliminated most of the paths to stay below 1.5 degrees, but we haven't eliminated all of them. So if we come to the right outcomes from this COP26, we can still, as, a, um, as humanity, keep within that one and a half degrees. And that's really, really important. And if we wait for the COP after this, we won't be able to. It will be too late. That's something I was going to ask you about, Penny, the consequences of the world heating up by two degrees. That doesn't sound like a lot, but what are some of the consequences of that? Well, and the, the consequences go on getting more and more severe, and two degrees is not the worst we can see. And you know, even though we talk about you know worst case of four degrees by 2100, if we don't get the carbon under control, it will, the planet will go on heating, and it will go on heating till we bring the global climate system into equilibrium. So what are we going to see? Here in the UK, we're going to see uh, warmer, wetter winters, hotter, drier summers, rising sea level, more intense rainfall, um, and therefore worse flooding. And that's true. Actually, it doesn't matter really where in the UK you are. Globally, the, uh, the effects are going to be very severe, and we're going to be affected by those global effects as well. So where, where there are droughts or areas are rendered uninhabitable due to heat or, or, or sea level rise, we're going to see food stress, we're going to see water stress, we're going to see migration stress. And, cl and climate change is a risk multiplier. It's like COVID, it makes everything a bit worse. So all of those effects will affect us um, secondarily. I didn't even mention biodiversity loss and ecosystem damage, but that is that is also true. And of course, in Scotland, you have some of these precious subarctic uh, some of the last precious subarctic habitats up in the Cairngorms and places, and they're going to be one of the areas where you're particularly affected because those are marginally viable in an unchanged climate and will become you know, non-viable in a warmed climate. That's really scary. Do you think as a public we're taking climate change seriously enough? I think the public is beginning to realise the impact of that. And it's, it's interesting, when I joined the Met Office, and I'm, I, so I joined in December 2018, and when I was interviewing for the job, I said, I thought my tenure as chief executive would coincide with when the general public really became aware of the impacts of climate change. And that's been even truer than, than I expected it to be. And I'm talking on a, a national level and on a global level. But if you think of the, the catastrophic flooding in Germany that we've had, and there were actually similar floods in China and India in a very similar time frame. And North America was sitting under a horrendous heat dome with the temperatures of 50 degrees in Canada, which is not much more unlikely than temperatures of 50 degrees in Scotland. <laughs> um, just unbelievable extremes that are totally unprecedented. And uh, I, think, I think that the public is beginning to realise, and that's also driving the political will um, nationally and globally to effect real change. You spoke about the consequences on the environment there, Penny, but what are the consequences on people of climate change? Well, the, um, the first order consequence is climate change um, manifests itself as more and more severe extreme weather events. And so, you know, you've always had rainy days in Scotland, you've always had, you've always had floods, but those will become 
more yeah more and worse down in the south of England where I live we're going to see more and more uncomfortably hot days we certainly expect temperatures of 40 degrees very shortly and more tropical nights and all those things have effects on people's well-being and health but then there's the the other effects the yeah the effects on on food prices and food availability and and the, and all those other geopolitical consequences and those 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 will also affect all of us and are to some extent inescapable and and don't forget we're already in a changed climate so um the climate's already warmed by 1.1 degrees and we're seeing some of those effects already but we haven't seen the worst that 1.1 degrees can throw at us yet because we've only been in it for a few years um so we haven't seen the full range of extremes even if we could freeze the climate where we are yeah, that's, that's very scary. But can you tell me, uh, Penny, some of the ways that the Met Office is helping then to combat climate change? The Met Office is an evidence provider. We do the research. For, you know, so I think we, we, we regard the fact that we have now completed the research to say what's causing it. Um, we know that bit. Um, we're into the research for what can we do about it. Um, and we talk in terms of resilient science for resilient future, resilient paths to net zero. And that involves helping policymakers understand what they can do, both in terms of which mitigation choices are good. And there are still choices. Should we concentrate on methane um, because it can make a big change quickly um, before we really throw money at, at the carbon? Is the, yeah. But also the adaptation choices. Our choices around land use and around how much we have to protect infrastructure and so on and that's all that's all part of our role how closely do you work with your equivalent organizations around the world do you share data with each other actually the meteorological community is ultra collaborative and a real example of global collaboration and that's because never mind climate nobody can make a weather forecast without observations from all over the planet. And so the World Meteorological Organization, uh, to which I'm the permanent representative of the UK, governs all that data exchange of observations. And we work very closely and indeed are busy modernizing at the moment um, our global exchange standards for, to take in more observations from satellites and things like that. But beyond that, we also collaborate very closely with the, the climate organization. So IPCC is actually part of WMO, and we at the Met Office um, with those big reports, the, the Working Group 1 report that's on the science behind the climate change, but then the, the two that will follow after the conference on mitigation and adaptation. We have people who are chapter authors and um, key authors on all of those. Um, and in fact, at COP, we're going to be hosting a science pavilion with WMO and IPCC as well in, in the government zone. Um, so that's a a big thing that's occupying all of us at the moment, um, finalising what's going to be in that and getting it ready. We'll come on and talk about COP26 just shortly, Penny, but tell me about working alongside government. How easy is it for them to put your recommendations into practice? So we provide the the, the evidence and we, so it's our job to make sure that both policymakers like the Climate Change Committee and then the, then the deciders who are the politicians have that evidence in a form that is understandable by them and presents them with choices. And it's very much our role as experts to make sure that we can present that information in the level of detail that's required. And we have been talking absolutely to the key people like Alok Sharma to provide that evidence ahead of, ahead of COP. 
One of the things I wanted to ask you about was about climate change denial. It was once seen as a, a fringe conspiracy theory, but weirdly it's becoming more and more prevalent in the mainstream. And of course, former president of the United States, Donald Trump, was an infamous proponent of climate change denial. How does the Met Office tackle climate change denial? So actually, I'm going to beg to differ with you. I think it's gone the other way. It was oh. a huge deal for us. And because it's really important for us to be seen as impartial and trusted, and we work very hard, we have very high levels of trust in the Met Office, we work hard to maintain those. We had to be careful about being too strident about what we said. Um, but actually, I think it's really almost a, it's a very niche view in the, in the UK now. And we get, I get much more kickback from people wanting me to take a more, a more firm view and perhaps attribute an event that we haven't done the science to do the attribution for yet um, and say at once this, you know, this hot day must be due to climate change and I'm going well we'll tell you when we've done done some more studies <laughs> than the other way around so um, and I, I think that comes back to both the view of the media who tend not anymore to present it as a balanced argument it isn't yes. but also um, to the real experiences that people are having when we do get it we engage once. So, you know, if somebody says this is nonsense, we'll provide the evidence once, but we don't get drawn in. It's not a good use of our time. And if you look at COVID and COVID denial, I think we've re it's been really a lot of those are the same people as the climate change deniers. Yeah. And people will be gasping their lives out in an intensive care unit, still saying that COVID doesn't exist or they shouldn't have had a vaccine. So I think it just it just shows that there's a limit to what evidence and rational engagement can do. And I've got a real job to do. I'm not going to get sucked into um, spending too long on that. Uh, we, I'm more interested in, in speaking to the vast majority of people who are concerned and want to be told what they can do. I'll just add one more thing, which is some of the denial comes from solution aversion right. and that sort of feeling that if, if I accept this thing, I don't, we, none of us would want it to be true. It would be lovely if it wasn't true, but it is. If I accept this thing, but I don't want to be true, I might feel bound to drive less and turn the heating down and eat less meat and I don't want to do any of those things. <laughs> so we do, we do really try to focus on the positives as well, that by, yeah, it's not just that really bad things will happen if we don't do this but we could be living in a, a cleaner, greener, more quieter, more biodiverse, more equal world by pursuing some of these policies that will combat climate change. And we, we call them co-benefits, but they're real. And so we do. I do try to talk about the positive reasons to engage as well as the, the scary things that I think can be quite off-putting to people. Mm -hmm. We've talked about COP26 about their penning. You mentioned some of the stuff that the Met Office will be doing at it. Could you expand that in a bit more detail? How will you be participating in COP26? So we actually started long ago. This is um, a, a really exceptional opportunity for us as a nation and for the Met Office as an organisation. We started with a big science conference with a thousand attendees um, several months back, where we looked at that science for a resilient future theme, and that informed some of the speakers and indeed some of the views of the, the main decision makers at COP26. We'll be there in force, I'll be there. So uh, we are represented in both the, the green zone and the blue zone, but particularly with this big science pavilion. And certainly I and our chief scientists will be speaking on science. They've got other speakers there. We've been working with the, the policymakers on what, what we need to achieve. 
we're actually providing a very upscale weather forecast as well, a dedicated firm forecast to make sure that everybody can get in and out of COP26 because it's not likely to get bad weather in Glasgow in November. So um, we've got more world leaders, I think, coming than have ever been in the UK. And if it's foggy, they've still got to arrive. Um, so we'll be working We'll be working on that. So all, all that's part of our, our general offering. Um, and the other thing um, is that uh, the Met Office Board, which likes to travel around our, our client organisations anyway, is being hosted at uh, Glasgow Caledonian uh, because Rob Woodward, who is our chair, is also your president of council. So we'll be up we'll be up there with all our board members and that will give us the opportunity to meet all the various people who are going to be gathered in this one place who are key stakeholders for us. What are your own hopes for COP26, Penny? What outcomes do you want to see from it? Well, I hugely hope that it will be successful, that there will be agreement on um, ways to do the mitigation to keep us below 1.5. That's absolutely the government's top objective and the thing that we most need to see realised from the conference. I am very concerned about the adaptation side. I get lots of invites to talks where people want to talk to me about net zero and carbon reduction, and that's vital. But because of the, the climate is already changing and 1.5 is the best we can expect, we do have to look at the adaptation too. So I hope there'll be good agreement and progress made on that. And from the Met Office point of view, obviously, it's an opportunity to find new ways to partner, to take our science forward, to make people more aware of the full breadth of what we do so that we can um, get a real positive lasting legacy from us. Um, from the conference as well and that is important to me but it's secondary to the conference itself being a success are you confident we can reach our goals i'm confident we can i'm yet to be made confident that we will well penny i want to thank you so much for coming on to the show today it was great to talk to you and i think i've learned a lot and i'm sure our listeners will have learned a lot as well thank you so very much it was a pleasure thank you for having me I'd also like to thank everyone for listening to this episode and I hope you'll tune in again for more podcasts in our series about the climate emergency in advance of COP26. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You'll find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you're listening to us from. Until the next time, I've been Craig Telfer and this has been The Common Good Podcast. Podcast.